So we've got one more uh, Sunday in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We're going to focus on verses 6, 7, and 8. Um, but before I read that, uh, let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we rejoice today uh, that uh, you um, are so good. Um, forgive us for not seeing that, hearing that, knowing that, and resting in that. And I pray today that as we think about uh, your spirit uh, and the life and the joy uh, that you bring through your spirit, you would um, make us alive, spark in us um, your um, care, your love, uh, and uh, just joy over the fact uh, that you are so for us, so with us, and so in us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, the text is in the bulletin, uh, also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is God's word, and uh, we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? So it's important for us to see there at the very end when Jesus says that to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, I don't understand. How can these things be? And Jesus says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know this. You, you may be tempted to think Jesus is kind of criticizing uh, Nicodemus for not uh, being that smart. But what Jesus is alluding to there is the fact is, as we've already read the passage from Ecclesiastes, and as we'll see uh, some other passages I'm going to draw your attention to, in the Old Testament, uh, the word for wind, breath, and spirit uh, is uh, interchangeable at times. And so uh, this was not new, this talk of the spirit as, as wind was not new uh, to Nic uh, it shouldn't have been new to Nicodemus. He was just missing that application. Nicodemus is just like us. How can it be? I don't see. We're materialists, right? We believe in that which we can touch, that which we can measure, that which is so obvious to us. But the spirit is not like that. It blows where it will. It does what it will. Uh, and it has uh, that, uh, that kind, kind of impact, right? So um, you can go ahead and put my notes up there, Cody. So it's a good place for us to begin today is to ask the question of what are we to make of the wind? which is a great question to ask uh, if you watch, uh, as those of you who are a certain age, I'm sure you do this, uh, you watch the Weather Channel, <laughs> right? 
Uh, and one of the stupidest things on the Weather Channel during a hurricane is some dude standing out in the street when the wind is blowing 150 miles an hour to show that you can't stand in the street when the wind is blowing 150 miles an hour. That is the dumbest thing ever. I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that. On the one hand, I look at that and I'm like, well, that would be kind of cool, but not really, not really, right? The wind is like that. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, when uh, I, my uh, daughter and son-in-law left their son alone with me at our house, and uh, we at that time had these giant floor fans, not those little box fans, you know, that you have in your dorm room, but these big ones that when you turn them on full speed, it sounds like an airplane propeller. Now, the bad news about that is, is that when you have a fan like that, you know, and you have an 18-month-old, he wants to stick his finger in there, right? So, um, so you got to keep him from doing that. So Papa is going to figure out a way to kind of teach him that that's the way we do this. So when nobody else is around, I get the fan, and I turn it on a little bit, and he creeps up to it, and he holds his hands out so he can feel the wind. And then I turn it up to the medium thing. He takes a step back, but he's still doing this. And then I turn it up all the way, and he looks like Jim Cantore on the Weather Channel, <laughs> blowing back like that. Like. And so he runs away into the kitchen, hides behind the counter, and, I've, and I turn it down. And then he creeps back out from around the counter to come up to the fan, and right when he gets up to it, I turn it on all the way. And he just squeals with excitement as he's tumbling back with the, the wind blowing on him, right? So, so it is with the wind. So it is with the spirit, right? The, the, the fact of the matter is, as, as, as we look at this, you know, this, this thing that God does by his spirit and the, the example and the illustration that Jesus is using here. Uh, is so comforting, such good news, and, and so helpful to us today. Because when Jesus says that the wind is like the Spirit, we can see its effects, but in many ways it's mysterious. In many ways we don't understand uh, how all of this works. Well, that's exactly because the wind is free. The wind is powerful. So is the Spirit. The Spirit is free, the Spirit is powerful, and the Spirit is sovereign in the way in which He blows. And so it's, it's, it, it's such good news for us today because we can rest in that fact even as, the, even as there's this thing, uh, by definition, if the Holy Spirit is God, you can't control him. If the Holy Spirit is God, you can't direct him. He comes and he goes and he blows and he does his work as he wills. But the great news for us in that is that the will of God is good and gracious, and loving, and merciful. And so we can trust ourselves to this breath of wind that could blow through our lives. It might tumble us over. 
It might give us new life. It might do all sorts of things. But the fact is, it's coming from the very heart of God, which is for you, right? So we can see the effects of the wind, but so much of it is mysterious to us. But we can trust that the source of the wind is good. Next slide. So one of the things that you have to see about the way this works is, and the way the work of the Spirit works is, we can see that at the very beginning of the Bible. You know, when we read at the beginning of the Bible, at the very beginning, as God's creating the world, it says, in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word there for hovering means that the, that the Spirit of God is looking over, hovering over, brooding over, uh, taking in whatever there was before there was. And as he looks at that, in love and grace and intent and mercy, the next thing that we see as the Spirit, and hear from the Scripture, as the Spirit of God is hovering over this mass of chaos is, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, that is the thing that you have to see about this wind, this, this hovering, because the, the word for spirit there is often used as the same word as breath and the same word as wind. This activity of God is, is there, and as he hovers over this and loves over this mass, he says, let there be light. And suddenly where there was only darkness and chaos, now there's light. The spirit loves to bring light. We see that at the very beginning of the Bible. And God creates man out of the dust of the earth. He takes Adam and he forms him from the, from the dirt. And as Adam lies there, uh, as God looks upon him, he's a body, but there's no life in him. And then what do we read is that the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The, the, the word there, the breath, the wind of God comes into this lifeless body and now Adam is alive. Now Adam opens his eyes and looks into the face. The first thing, the first man ever saw was the very face of God blowing into his face the breath of life. You see, what, what the Spirit does it, it, it is this profound thing of shining light into darkness. But not only shining light into darkness, but bringing life to that which was dead. The breath of life, the wind of life that blows into Adam is the force that gives him uh, 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 the ability to stand up and to walk and to talk and, and, and to live. Otherwise, he's just a lump of, of flesh there. But because God breathes into him, he becomes alive. Next slide. So uh, the, this is such good news for us. It is, it, this, is, this is the place, this is the thing that we, that we should see and take great heart in today is that God, the, the, the Holy Spirit, does this ministry, does this work, that we cannot do ourselves, that we cannot make happen ourselves, that only he can do. He does this work. That what, without the Spirit of God, there would only be darkness and there would only be lifelessness. 
But because of the very heart of God, the very mercy of God, and the love of God, we have the work of the Spirit bringing light to our darkness and bringing life to what is dead. And what we have to say is that our deadness, and there's plenty of deadness among us, but our deadness is no match to the life-giving Spirit of God. Our deadness is no match to the life-giving Spirit of God. Now, here's the thing that uh, I want to be very clear about for us today is you and I, regardless of where you are, how mature you think you are, how spiritual you think you are, how alive you think you are, will always need the breeze of the Spirit to blow into your life. Always, always. Because the thing that the, that the scripture is, is clear to us about is, is that, that we come to spiritual life, that we come alive, that we are born again because the spirit does that work in our lives. And, and you're not done with the spirit once he makes you alive. In fact, the New Testament says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. You and I need to have the work of the spirit in our lives every single day every single moment of every day. The way we tend to think about this is, is, okay, maybe the Spirit made me alive when I was dead, and now I'm on my own. Now I am going to live this life as a matter simply of my will and as simply a matter of being kind of independent. God's given me this, now I'm going to run with it. When in fact... What the, 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 the scriptures tell us is that, we, uh, that God works faith in us, that the Spirit brings that faith into us, and that we need that Spirit to be at work in us all the time, all the time. Otherwise, we are, as Jesus says here, just flesh. So, we, so this, is, this, is the, and this is the thing that is so great about uh, what Jesus is saying here is, is that there's no end to the work of the Spirit. There's no, no end to the, the power of the Spirit. There's no end to the work of the Spirit in us. We tend to think, we tend to lead our lives as if there is no Holy Spirit. But the fact is, uh, uh, the only good that comes in and through and of our lives is by that work of the Spirit in us. And God is good to give that to us. Next slide. So, uh, uh, and, and so you may be thinking then, well, how do I know that I have this? You know, because sometimes we, what we tend to think in this day and age is that, uh, that we confuse the work of the Spirit, as, as Eugene Peterson said, with just adrenaline, right? Some kind of mountaintop experience, some kind of super uh, emotional experience. And certainly sometimes that's true. But I'm here to tell you today that the Spirit of God lives in joy in you and I. Certainly. But the Spirit is no less absent in our grief. The Spirit is no less absent in sadness. In, and in fact, sometimes the work of the Spirit in us might be to cause us a little sadness to 
reorient us, to change us. You know, I thought that it was so powerful that Emily used that passage from Lamentations chapter 3. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. You know, your faithfulness, is, his, his mercies are new every morning. The man who wrote those wonderful words is sitting in the smoking ruin, smelling the dead bodies in the street of his city that has been sacked. The Spirit of God is at work in him, doing that work even in the context. I mean, the name of the book that the verses come from is Lamentations, right? And so we should mistake and we shouldn't think that the fact is that the Spirit only comes to us in happy times or that it's, it, that it's like that the fact is that if, if the Holy Spirit is giving us life at all, He is most profoundly giving us life sometimes when we have no spark of life left in us at all, when grief seems overwhelming to us. I uh, was at a conference yesterday and I was talking uh, to a, a, another pastor friend of mine and uh, I just said to him, you know, how you doing? You know, because uh, it's, been, it's been about seven or eight months since I talked to him. And when I last talked to him, he wasn't doing so hot. And um, he's still not doing so hot, you know. And we talked about what it's like uh, to be a pastor in uh, Richmond, Virginia in 2022. And one of the things that we uh, reminded each other of in the midst of that is that uh, left to our own devices and left to our own churches, without the Spirit of God, uh, we were dead. But thanks be to God, there is a Holy Spirit who takes the work of Jesus Christ and makes the dead live, right? It's funny how that works in us, right? I mean, one of the, one of the ways and one of the profound things that, that John is going to record for us that Jesus is doing for Nicodemus in just a few uh, verses later, he's going to tell us that one of the ways, one of the primary ways we begin to see the Spirit work in our hearts and our lives is it takes our focus and our attention off of ourselves and raises our eyes to Christ. Because what John's going to say, uh, what Jesus is going to say, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What we have in the midst of the world and the life that we live is that we are in desperate need, dying need for the Spirit of God to raise our eyes off of ourselves to look at the work that Jesus has, uh, has done for us. Now, how can you know that the Spirit's blowing on you? How do you know that? Um, it, it's, uh, you know, there, um, we, we can apply all sorts of meanings and things uh, to the work of the Spirit. Uh, but the Bible's pretty clear to us about how we can see that and uh, how uh, we can know that. And here are three ways. First of all is a submissive, a growing submissive heart toward what God tells us. You know, it is, uh, it, 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 and you may be thinking, well, what does, what does that uh, have to do with the Spirit of God? Well, uh, later on in the New Testament, we read, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit 
to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells within you. So here's the very first, one of the very first things that we can see about that is, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we're only obedient. But what it means is, is that there is a growing drive and need and desire in us to hear and to see the word of Jesus Christ take flesh in our desires, take flesh in our actions and in our thoughts. That, and a willingness that if Jesus says, this, do this, stop doing this, that we are, we, we are changed into people who resist that and the people who want to submit to that. A few weeks ago, uh, I wrote uh, in uh, one of uh, the letters uh, that I send you every week about uh, the time that um, Jesus is out uh, by the seashore. He's, he's done some preaching, and he comes up to Peter and uh, his fisherman buddies, and he says, hey, you guys go out here and drop your nets down on this side of the boat. Now, Jesus was a carpenter not a fisherman. Peter is a professional fisherman, right? This is what he does for a living. He's, he's, he's like one of those bass master guys, right? That knows all about fish and knows where to go, what to do, when the, what the time is. I bet he's got one of those moon calendars, you know, that the crazy fishermen use. And, you know, he knows what the water temperature is and he knows what fish are out there. I mean, he makes his living doing this, right? Jesus is a carpenter. Um, it's supposed to be really windy here tomorrow. Did, did you know that? I'm telling you. So when you see the wind blowing tomorrow, maybe it'll help you remember that the Spirit of God is like the wind. Well, you should pray for the church when the wind blows. Because every time the wind blows more than five miles an hour, we lose power here. <laughs> or we have a power surge in our building. And sometimes it happens almost imperceptibly. Like you can't really tell it happened until later on in the week, somebody says, hey, I'm over here in room one such and such, and it's 95 degrees in here. And we're like, well, we turned the air conditioning on. Oh, some circuit board, some transistor, some capacitor somewhere got fried because the wind blew, right? Because something, you know, it just, uh, uh, it, 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 it just blew up, right? Well, um, it's, it's amazing how that works. It's amazing how those kinds of things happen. Well, when the electricians come in here, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to say, you're doing it wrong. I'm a pastor. They're electricians. You're doing it wrong. So when Jesus, the carpenter, says, hey, Peter, I know you think you're a fisherman. You're doing it wrong. Do it like this. What does Peter say? Shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm a professional fisherman. Go drive some nails. Go saw some boards. No. You know what he says? If you say so. Oh, friends, how, what would it be like 
if people looked at us as people who say to their Lord, Lord, if you say so. When I wrote that in the letter, uh, I got a response from one of our missionaries who's in a very difficult and dangerous place. And she said, I would only be here except, I would not be here except the Lord said so. Right? So there's a trust, there's a hopeful submission in the fact that this God who empowers us by the Holy Spirit loves us and is for us and we can submit to what he says to us. Second one. A humble childlike confidence is so rich to hear Ligdabeth's uh, testimony today and to hear her talk about her father in heaven. You know, we have this kind of generic thing going on in our culture where we talk about all of us being children of God, but what the gospel does for us and what the spirit of God uniquely does for us is impresses upon us in ways that are beyond our understanding that we have a father in heaven. You know, it is, many of you had terrible fathers. Many of you had average fathers. Uh, uh, Many of you had pretty good fathers, but all of you had fathers who were sinners. In your heart of hearts, I believe, If you're a human being, you have a drive and a need for a good father who will protect you, who will provide for you, who will love you, and who will even occasionally redirect you to where there's life and goodness and joy. Paul writes, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you have the confidence to walk through this world and through this life, knowing as hard and as difficult and as challenging as it is, as threatening, as fearful, and as anxiety-producing it is. But over it all, in it all, and through it all, the Spirit of God convinces you, the Spirit of God works in you and witnesses to you that you have a Father who loves you, who is for you, who provides for you, who protects you, who sees you through, who is waiting with open arms to embrace you when you wonder. The Spirit of God's alive in you. And that is one of his most profound works in us is to press upon us the very nature and the very heart of the Father that he is for us and that the work of Jesus Christ, our older brother, makes us people who can trust and can lean in and can know that come what may, I have a Father who loves me. And then thirdly, the way you can know that the Spirit is blowing in your life is growing love. The Spirit's job 
is to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. The Spirit is compelled uh, in his ministry to do this work in us. And so what we do when we hear the gospel, when we see, as we, John said, Jesus lifted up, when we hear him groaning, when we hear the sound of the nails, when we hear the sounds of the beating, when we hear the words of Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When we hear the words of Jesus saying, it is finished, what we know about the very heart of God, all of, out of all the other things that we may know about him, he is compelled by love and mercy and grace to sacrifice for his enemies. To give up what is rightfully his for those he loves. One of the most profound ways we will know that the Spirit of God is among us and in us and living and working through us is that we will be compelled to love the unlovely. We will be compelled to love that which does not love us back. We will be compelled to wash the feet of the denier and we will be compelled to wash the feet of the betrayer. You see, I, when you hear that and you see that, you recognize that what Jesus is talking about is something that is hard to understand. It is hard for us to, to make sense of that, but that's the, the work of the Spirit. That is what he does in and through us by taking the very work of Jesus Christ and making it alive and enfleshed in us as we follow after him. Now, there are a zillion other ways that we know uh, that uh, uh, that the Spirit is alive in us. Um, but one of the things that we do when we come to the Lord's table is the reality that as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we go back again and are told once again the story of our redemption, that we were dead and Jesus by his Spirit made us alive that we were dead and trespasses and sins. But what did Jesus do? He took our, our death so that we might live in him by his spirit and now have set before us this table of abundance, right? The disciples prepared the Passover and when it was evening, Jesus came with the 12 and they were reclining at the table and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. We're going to confess our sins together by using uh, this prayer from the Valley of Vision. O oh God, the Holy Spirit, you who proceed from the Father and the Son, have mercy on me. When you did first hover over chaos, order came to birth. Beauty robed the world and fruitfulness sprang forth. I pray that you move upon my disordered heart, take away the sickness of ungodly desires 
and hateful lusts, lift the mist and darkness of unbelief, brighten my soul with the pure light of truth, make it fragrant as the garden of paradise, rich with every goodly fruit, beautiful with heavenly grace, radiant with rays of divine light. Fulfill in me the glory of your divine purposes. Be my advocate, comforter, helper, light, guide, sanctifier. Show the blessings of Christ to my soul. Through you may I daily learn more of his love, grace, compassion, faithfulness, and beauty. Lead me to the cross and show me his wounds, the hateful nature of evil, the power of Satan. May I there see my sins as the nails that held him, the cords that bound him, the thorns that tore him, the sword that pierced him. O Holy Spirit, deepen in me these saving lessons. Write them on my heart that my walk may be sin-loathing, sin-fleeing, Christ-loving. Do not allow me to be deceived or beguiled by any of Satan's schemes. Help me to find in his death the reality and immensity of his love. Open for me the wondrous volumes of truth in his cry that it is finished. Increase my faith in the clear knowledge of atonement achieved, expiation completed, satisfaction made, guilt done away with, my debt paid, my sins forgiven, my person redeemed, my soul saved, hell vanquished, heaven opened, and eternity made mine. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. <clears throat> 